you got your Bible on, you turn me to Mark chapter 4. Mark 4, we are still in our Evidence of Grace series. Mark 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. Are you all ready to go today? I hope so. Mark 4, 1 through 9 says, uh, again, talking about Jesus, again he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. God, I beg you right now for your anointing. Uh, I want you to, to move in this, this room. I want my spirit to connect with the spirit of my brothers and sisters who, who came. I don't want them to look this morning as a waste of time. I want you to speak. I want you to give us eyes to see, ears to hear what you want to say to your bride. Uh, God, when, uh, when we're faithful and we tune our ears to you, you never fail to say something. And so uh, we're here and we're listening. And all God's people said, amen. There is a, uh, there's a fundamental problem with human nature. And I think it stems from our inability to learn from the mistakes and experiences of other people. We are a very proud and stubborn people who have to figure things out for ourselves. I mean, we've been told that money doesn't buy happiness, and yet most of us still chase after it. We've been told that power corrupts, and we still envy it. We've been told that the grass isn't always greener on the other side, and yet we've spent far too much time checking out other people's yards. And it's one thing for us to ignore worldly wisdom, you know, to dismiss these like old, you know, well-known sayings. But what about when we ignore the wisdom that comes directly from God? Like, what about when Jesus, as he does at the end of the, this parable that we just read, what about when Jesus himself says, hey, uh, anybody who has ears, you need to hear this. Like, anybody who can listen, you need to listen to what I'm saying. A couple of weeks ago, both of my daughters, Sophie and Ella, um, both play basketball at Halls High School. And a couple of weeks ago, Ella was just practicing in our backyard, and she stepped on uh, a basketball and she sprained her ankle pretty bad. She missed like a, a couple of games. She, she's doing okay now, it's still, it's still a little bit swollen. But the very next day, we, Bethany and I drove out to Academy Sports and we picked up um, not two, but four ankle braces. And we brought them back and we gave them to uh, Ella, the idea that we were hoping she could wear them to protect her ankles. And then we gave two to Sophie in hopes that she would wear them to prevent future injury. Well, of course, uh, Sophie chose not to wear hers because in her mind, she thought, my ankles have never been a problem before. I mean, why would I wear, if my ankles have never hurt, why would I wear ankle braces? 
fast forward to Monday night at Heritage High School, and you guessed it, Sophie didn't wear her ankle braces, and she twisted, sprained an ankle, tore some ligaments in her foot. But now she wears the ankle braces. Now, the point of that story is that uh, my kids need to listen to their dad, okay? And uh, I'm going to use my platform just to push my own personal agenda, right? I mean, what, what better way to use it than that? No, the, the real point of the story is uh, that's just the way most of our minds work. Like, for whatever reason, most of us think, look, if something hasn't been a problem for me yet, then it's not really a problem. Like, it's just, it's part of uh, our, it's part of our nature. We have to make our own mistakes. We got to find out things on our own. We got to make our own bad choices. Like, for example, you can tell us that the eye on the stove is hot, but we're probably going to touch it ourselves at least once just to be sure. Too many of us, it's sad to say, have to get burned before we learn. Is that a fair assessment? Okay, I'm not the only one who's, who's built like that, right? I mean, that's just kind of the, the way it works. Well, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus shares the story that we just read, which is known as the parable of the sower. And this parable is one of only a couple of parables that's included in three out of the four Gospels. Mark has a version, Matthew has a version, Luke has a version. And I take the, the inclusion of that in so many different places to mean uh, this story is really important. Like it was really important to Jesus that people heard this story. And it wasn't just important to him that they heard it, but it was very important to him that they understood it. Because one of the other things that makes this parable uh, really interesting is that it's one of the only stories that Jesus tells and then he explains. Most of the time in the parables, he would share a story and then he would leave. You see it all the time in the scripture. He leaves the parable open for interpretation. And it's like the disciples and everybody who could hear it had the opportunity to kind of figure it out themselves. Not so here. In the parable of the sower, Jesus tells the story, and then he asks the guys, he's like, hey, do you guys understand it? And they're like, no way. And then Jesus gives a very specific explanation. He's like, this is exactly what this means. And so I want us to look at that together now. This is Mark. If you're already in Mark 4, 1 through 9, we're just going to read Mark 4, 13 through 20. I'm going to get a drink of my frozen water. Mark 4, bless you, 13 through 20, and this is what it says. It says, and he, again talking about Jesus, and Jesus said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Now, just to be clear, we talked about this a few weeks ago here at the church, at least I talked about it. When the Bible speaks about the word of God, who is it most often talking about? Will y'all tell me? 
In the Bible, the Word of God is Jesus. You can read John chapter 1. Jesus is the Word become flesh. So when we read this parable of the sower, what we're talking about here is, is God is the sower. Jesus is the seed. He tosses, when Jesus enters the world, that's him tossing the seed into the world. And essentially, church, that's the, the gospel. That is the good news. Jesus came down. And then in the parable, he goes on to explain what's going to happen. He goes, now some people are going to hear about Jesus, but they're never going to let his truth penetrate their hearts. And some people are going to follow Jesus, but as soon as any kind of trouble comes, they're going to turn back. And then some people are going to be faithful to Jesus for quite a while until they find themselves lured away by things that shine. Church, I really believe that in this text, Jesus is trying to warn us of the potential pitfalls of our faith. Like he's trying to warn us, hey, these are some things that have a tendency to knock people off course. These are some things that have a tendency to take people off the narrow road and the narrow way. He's going, look, wake up. Listen to what I'm saying here. I need you to pay attention so that the things that get other people won't get you. In a lot of ways, I think what Jesus is trying to do is he's like trying to get us to put on our ankle braces before we get hurt. You know, like this isn't just about protection, but it's about prevention. And like Sophie, I think it would do us well to listen to our dad and to hear, to heed his advice. Church, I'm going to be brutally honest with you for a moment, okay? Happy Valentine's Day, by the way. If your faith is only a facade... Like, if it's only skin deep, it's probably not going to last very long. If your faith hasn't been built to weather storms, it's only going to be temporary because storms are coming. And if you really don't believe that Jesus is better than everything else, then you might as well keep paying the electric and water bills at your old house because eventually you're going to return back to it. And these aren't my words, these are Jesus' warnings. The parable of the sower speaks to the fragility of our faith. Jesus is going, hey guys, here's some of the pitfalls, here's some of the struggles, here's some of the things that have the potential to knock you off your way. Church, it was so difficult for Jesus to go to the cross, and yet it is so easy for this world to knock us off our course. It was so hard for Jesus to endure the pain of the cross, and yet it is so easy for us to falter, our faith can be so terribly fragile. And I think Jesus is trying to prevent that fragility. Now, what I want to provide you with today are three questions that I think you can ask yourselves or we can ask ourselves that will allow us a sort of fair self-evaluation about the state of our faith. Three questions that I think, and all three of these questions have to do with the parable and the pitfalls that Jesus is talking about. Three questions that I think we can ask ourselves to ensure that our faith is secure. Y'all ready for them? Are you ready? All right. Here's the first one. Question number one, are you letting the word in? Question number one is, are you letting the word in? I really want you to ask yourself that when you look at your life. Are you letting the word in? Now, most of you probably already know, but me and Lucas Fox on Wednesday nights teach the middle school boys small group here at the church. And, uh, and I love it. And uh, I look forward to it every Wednesday. And uh, the last couple of weeks, we have 
uh, been very intentional about upping our expectations for our boys. And part of the logic behind that is, is just we really believe that one of the problems with discipleship in the church is not that we ask people to do too much, but that we ask them to do too little. And so uh, part of what we've done for this boys is like a couple of weeks ago, we said, hey, you got one week. We would like for you to read the whole book of Mark in a week. And they did. And then the next week, we're like, okay, we'd like for you to read the whole Gospel of John this week. And then most of them did. And then this past week, like right now, they are supposed to be reading through the entire book of Acts. And as they read, we've really only got them asking two questions. And the first one is, uh, what is the most important thing that God's saying to you in this text? So you read the whole thing. What's the most important thing that God said to you in the verses that you read? And then question number two is, how can you apply what he's saying to you to your life? And, man, it's been cool to see. It's been really neat to hear what God is showing. I mean, I'm learning a lot from these boys. They're, they're smart, and they're holy, and they're reading, and they're listening, and they're growing. Church, one of the ways that we should see evidence of grace in our lives is there should be spiritual growth. There should be change. There should be sanctification. We should look more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. And if we do not, then I fear our faith is in a fragile state. The Bible points us to Jesus. It tells us who he was, tells us what he did, and it tells us what his expectations for us are. And because of that, I think we should have within ourselves a desire to devour the Scriptures, a passion to read and to heed everything that he says. Ultimately, I think the only way that we can ensure that Satan won't come and pluck the Word out of us is that we are watching to make sure that the Word is alive and well in us. Like there's no way that he's going to be able to come and take a seed that we are watching and watering and nurturing. My college pastor, Joe Drummer, he used to say that a lot of people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. And that is, of course, the distance between the head and the heart. And his point was that a lot of people want to give Jesus their allegiance, but they don't want to give him their affections. But this is impossible. Truth in the head should always awaken passion in the heart. Truth in the head should always awaken passion in the heart. If there's not a connection between this and this, then something's not, something's not okay. Church, I ask you this morning, have you really let Jesus in? Have you let him in? Are you consistently letting the Word in? I said a couple of weeks ago when I preached, I talked about how when I was a kid growing up, I felt like preachers talked about hell all the time, and now I think they talk about it. They don't talk about it enough. I was like, when I was young, they talked about it too much, and I don't talk about it enough. I feel the same way about this statement. You know, when I was a kid growing up, a lot of preachers were all the time talking about, hey, you need to let Jesus in your heart. You need to ask Jesus to come in your heart. It's a phrase that I haven't heard in a church in a whole long time, but newsflash, church, we need Jesus in our heart. We don't just need him up here. We need him in here because I, a lot of times I think it goes head, heart, hands. We have a head knowledge. We get a heart knowledge, and then it moves to ministry, to mission, to purpose. Truth in the head, always awaken passion in the heart. When you look at your life, just honest, be honest. When you look at your life, is there sanctification? Is there spiritual growth? Is there change? Growth should be evidence of grace. Growth in your life should be evidence 
of grace. That's question number one. Are you letting the word in? Here's question number two. This is a great sermon for Valentine's Day. Seriously, y'all are welcome. Here's question two. Are you prepared for pain? Are you prepared for pain? Jesus was an honest leader. Like he was so honest, even to the point that it hurts sometimes. If you read the Gospels, which I've had to do because I've asked the boys to, I'm like, I'm not going to ask them to do anything I hadn't done. So I've been in the Word, like reading these stories of Jesus. And one of the things that you're going to hear Jesus say over and over again is he tells the disciples, he's like, look, you're going to be persecuted for your faith. He's like, you're going to experience trouble in this world. There are going to be trials and trying times. And he never encouraged his followers to move away from suffering, but to embrace it to lean into it, to learn from it, and ultimately to be changed by it. Like when it comes to Jesus and his teachings on pain, I think it can be summed up in really two quick thoughts. The first one is uh, Jesus told his followers, he wanted them to know these two things. One, he wanted them to know, hey, pain's coming. Like if it's not here right now, it's going to come. And then number two, uh, you'll never be alone in it. He's like, there's going to be some hurt. It's going to come. Everything, every pain that you experience, I'll walk with you through that fire, I'll walk with you through, through those issues. Those are the two main things that I think Jesus wanted to get across to his followers about pain. Now, I'm not exactly sure when it happened. And, I, and to be honest with you, it makes me nervous to even talk about this, but I'm going to do it because I feel like the Holy Spirit told me I was supposed to, okay? I'm not exactly sure when it happened, but at some point, I would argue within about the last 30 years, safety has become a sacred value in American culture. Like, safety's become a sacred value. A lot of parents, I I would argue, have made it their primary responsibility not to parent their kids, but to protect them. Like, to prevent them from experiencing any kind of physical or emotional harm. And while I certainly understand this desire to want to keep our kids safe, I got five of them, I'm committed to uh, protecting them. I think this overprotection has come with certain cost. I think that it's possible that we are raising a generation of kids who aren't prepared to handle the problems of this world. I think it's possible that we're raising a group of kids who don't know how to stand up for themselves. And I think it's possible that we're raising a group of kids who aren't ready to experience any kind of pain. And it's because we went out of our way to protect them. We went out of our way to coddle them. In 2017, the Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts, he was asked to speak at his middle school son's commencement speech. Like he was asked to give the graduation address at this middle school for his boy and his classmates. And in that speech, he said these words. And I'm going to be honest with you, church. These messed with me when I read them the first time, okay? I mean, I'm talking about to the point that I feel like they've changed the way that I seek to parent my kids, and I hope they'll speak to you in that way as well. And this is what he said. It's just a portion of his speech. He said, from time to time, in the years to come, I hope you will be treated unfairly so that you'll come to know the value of justice. I hope that you will suffer betrayal because that will teach you the importance of loyalty. Sorry to say, but I hope you'll be lonely from time to time so that you don't take friends for granted. 
I wish you bad luck again from time to time so that you'll be conscious of the role of chance in life and understand that your success is not completely deserved and that the failure of others is not completely deserved either. And when you lose, as you will from time to time, I hope every now and then your opponent will gloat over your failure. It is a way for you to understand the importance of sportsmanship. I hope you'll be ignored so you know the importance of listening to others, and I hope you'll have just enough pain to learn compassion. Whether I wish these things or not, they're going to happen. And whether you benefit from them or not will depend upon your ability to see the message in your misfortune. There's only one line in his speech that I would change, and it is the last one, when he says, and whether you benefit from them or not will depend upon your ability to see the messenger in your misfortune. That's the way I would change it. Now, just so you know that I, I'm not just, you know, propping up what he's saying there, but I think what I'm talking about is a biblical idea, is in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, James says these words, listen, church, happy Valentine's. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James is like, when pain comes, count it as joy. Trials come, joy. Tribulation, joy. Because if you count it as joy, it's going to produce perseverance in you. Now, I know that this may be uh, a radical idea, but I'm going to say it anyway. As believers, I think we are called to value faith over safe. As believers, I think we are called to value faith over safe. Now hear me, I'm not encouraging you not to protect your kids. I'm not saying that I hope bad things happen, you know, to them. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying is in the kingdom of God, suffering isn't the worst outcome, hell is. One of the ways that I think we should see evidence of grace in our lives is there should be some grit. Like we should have within ourselves the ability to endure some things, to walk through some things, to experience. We should be prepared to endure some pain. I mean, grit is like a flower that only grows in valleys. Like that's the only place. You don't find grit on the mountaintop. You're gonna, if, you, if you're going to you're gonna have grit, if your kid's going to, the only place they're going grit, to get grit is in the valleys. We should have grit, I think, is evidence of grace upon our lives. A couple of years ago, just to give you a practical example of what I'm talking about, a couple of years ago I took my son Deacon to Haiti for the very first time. I think he was 10 years old. And on that trip, we, is the trip that we went on where we slept on the mountaintop in tents and we had some pretty scary experiences. I mean, like, I'm just going to be real. And, uh, and to be honest with you, uh, I think I may have made a mistake taking him. Like, I, I really think I probably, I think I probably took him too soon because uh, it freaked him out. I mean, he really, the whole experience, he, he was terrified pretty much the whole time that we were there. Now, I will say this because Cody and I were just talking about it in, in the back. I, I do want to let you in on something that I've prayed for my kids. The reason I took Deacon on that trip is because we left the service here one day after Mark preached and we got in the car and Deacon said to me, he said, Dad, I think the Holy Spirit's telling me that I'm supposed to go to Haiti. 
So it wasn't just me making a decision, but it's him talking about the spirit that was in him. And one of the things that I've prayed for my kids ever since they were zero years old is I've gotten in their ear and I've whispered to them, I've said, where do you want to go and how can I help you get there? Where do you want to go? And ultimately what I'm doing, every time I've said that, what I'm trying to do is, is call out to the spirit that was within them and going, hey, where do you want to take them? What do you don't want to do with them? And how can I make that happen? Do I pray for my kids' safety? Of course I pray for the safety. Am I their protector? I mean, when we were on that trip to Haiti, I almost fought like 30 teenagers on Deacon's behalf, okay? Of course I protect my kids. I just don't think that's supposed to be primary. And I would rather make the mistake of taking my kid on a God-called adventure too soon than too late. Because I am much more concerned about his soul than I am his security. And so when I talk about faith over safe, I'm not... I'm not saying that safety doesn't matter. I'm just saying that in the kingdom of God, I don't think it should be our primary goal for our kids. We lead them to Jesus. He's a much better protector of them than we would ever be anyway. I ask you this morning, church, when you look at your life, have you built a faith that is prepared to weather storms? They're coming. Like, have you built a faith that is prepared to handle pain? Because if you haven't, you're, you're your faith might be in trouble. Your faith could be fragile because the storms are coming, the pain is coming. The question, are you ready to deal with it? A lot of people leave when trouble comes. Seen it. You all have seen it. A lot of people leave. The first time they experience major pain in their life, a lot of people will turn their backs on God because they realize in that moment that God lives for his agenda and not ours. And that can be a really terrible thing to have to experience. A lot of people turn back, first taste of trouble. Grit is evidence of grace. And here's the final question. Question number three. Are you letting the world in? Are you letting the world in? To me, this is the portion that when I was reading through Mark, that grabbed hold of me. And I think it took hold of me because it's the part of the text that applies, I think, most of the season of life that I'm currently in. Like, it's the, it's the part of the text that I think if I'm going to wrestle with one of these things, if one of these things, if I'm going to fall into one of these pits, I think this is the one that's going to get me. And uh, here in this text, this is what Jesus says. He's saying, hey, a lot of people are going to be faithful for a long time. Like, you're going to have some friends who walk with Jesus for a long time. But then, and listen to his description. This is what he says is going to happen. But then, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things will enter and will choke the word out. And I don't think it's a coincidence that in the text, Jesus uses the, uses the words here. talks about them being, it comes in, the world comes in and chokes us out because that's really how I think it works. I mean, it's like the world just kind of takes hold of us and it begins to tighten its grip on us. And I think for most of us, it's like a slow fade. I mean, it tightens it and it tightens it and it tightens it to the point that ultimately our spiritual lives completely burn out or they completely, they completely die. They completely die out. It slowly, that grip, the world's grip slowly makes us more cynical and less charitable. And so that's one way you can kind of look at your life if you're trying to self-evaluate the situation that you're in. Let me tell you what I've seen over and over again in the church, okay? I'm almost finished. I've been a pastor now for almost 20 years, two, two different churches. And one of the things that I have noticed is that a lot of people will follow Jesus until they get a disposable income. 
Weird thing to say, I know. A lot of people will follow Jesus until they get a disposable income. And the reason I think that is, is because people will follow Jesus until they make enough money to be able to live out their childhood dreams. And then at that point, that's when people really start indulging their hobbies. That's when people buy the house, buy the car, buy the boat, whatever the thing is that they you know, want to enjoy on the side. That's when they pour the money into that. And you can slowly watch the world just kind of grip them. And you can watch as they fade away. But church, I ask you, what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world but to forfeit his soul? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with boats and cars and hobbies. I love them. Like, if you got a boat, invite me on yours, okay? I'm not saying that, but I am saying that Jesus is better than those things. He was better than those things. He is better than those things. He will always be better than those things. And the more money that God allows to go into your bank account, the more generous you're supposed to be. Like, an increasing form of generosity is evidence of grace on our lives. I don't care if you got a boat or all the things that I just talked about, but what I do care about is, are you more generous right now than you were five years ago? Like when you look at your life, and the only reason I ask that question, I don't want to know the details, and I'm not even just, I'm not talking about like tithe and generous, I'm just talking about in your heart, are you a more generous person now than you are five years ago? Because as long as you are, that ensures that money for you is a tool and not your God. But you've got to ch check yourself. Are you more generous now than you were five years ago? And it's not just money. Are you more generous with your time? More generous with your money? More generous with your life? If not, your faith might be in trouble. Might be a sign that you've let too much of the world in and you can feel those hands around your neck just slowly starting to choke you out. Generosity is evidence of grace. Jesus was warning us. He goes, some people are going to hear about him, but they're never going to let his truth penetrate their hearts. Some people are going to follow him, but then they're going to turn back the first time trouble comes. And some people are going to be faithful to him until they're lured away by things that shine. Church, may this never be us. May it never be us. May it never be us. May we be a people who heed Jesus' warnings. May we be a people who put on the ankle braces before we go in into battle. May we find ourselves as a people who miss the pitfalls because Jesus warned us going, hey, if you have ears to hear, you need to hear this. These are some things that are going to cause you trouble. Be on the lookout for these. Persevere through them. Press on because here's the good news. Those who persevere produce. Those who stick to the path. Those who remain faithful. The text says at the end of the parable of the sower, those who remain faithful, they find themselves bearing fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, their expectations. I know it's Valentine's Day, and I know that this doesn't sound very loving, but I love you enough to tell you. And if your faith might be fragile, figure it out. Correct it. If you have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit wants to say to the church. Heed the wisdom of Jesus to you. Pray with me, and we're done. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And God, I'm grateful for your word and the way it speaks. I pray it will continue to speak. I believe that when we talk about those pitfalls, I know that when we talk about those pitfalls and you're saying, hey, these are some things that believers are going to have to wrestle with in the future. I know that in your wisdom, that means that there are people in this room who wrestle with those things. 
today, may they be honest with themselves about the state of their hearts and about their situation. And may they find themselves wrestling with these things and correcting these things so that they'll find them back on the narrow path so that they can stick to the narrow road. God, we want to be a church of people who persevere and who produce fruit. And we cannot do that without you. We know, Jesus, that you're better than everything. And we lean really hard on that. Help us to choose faith over safe. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.